Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 23. So this is the second part of a two-part series. And in the first part, we looked at, and it's just a great chapter, so I broke it up into two. Uh, it's really about King Josiah, the last great king, and one of the, one of the few godly kings of all of Israel. Uh, he was the king of Judah. And the first part we looked at had to do with his covenant with the Lord, finding the book of the law, um, just rededicating his life uh, as a young man, doing some incredible reforms in his, I'd say, arguably his 20s against popular opinion. So if you didn't get the first one, 2 Kings 23, part 1, definitely get it. Just a great profile in a a person with exceptional character. And tonight we're going to look at the conclusion. So the two things that we're going to cover tonight is the great Passover feast that Josiah instituted and his posterity, and we're going to look at this in five parts. So jumping in, 2 Kings 23, starting with verse 21, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him... There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. That's an important statement that we're going to get to. Uh, But first out of five is the great Passover is instituted. And what I love about Josiah was he didn't put the cart before the horse. You know, today you could look at, you know, Christendom, you could look at Judaism, and, and some people are just going through the motions. Oh, you know, we, this was what we celebrate. This is what our religion teaches. These mindless rites and rituals. And you ask somebody, well, what does that mean? I don't know. We've just always done it that way. But Josiah, on the other hand, if you go back to the first part of this, he gets the covenant out and he gets all the people assembled. He reads God's word and gets them to make an agreement with God that they're going to follow his word. So by not putting the cart before the horse, the people are understand. They're Bible literate. They're educated in the scripture, which is something that was non-existent. The, the Levites weren't doing their jobs. The priests weren't doing their jobs. So here it took a king in a sort of quasi-secular position to get everybody motivated and understand the word. And I'm going to say this right out of the gate. You know, there's a lot of churches that talk about a lot of things from the pulpit, and they're not, they're not talking about the word. They're talking about politics. They're talking about humanistic psychology. But, you know, it's just something's wrong. Without the word, you don't have a church. You don't have a church. So Josiah does this. uh, Word first, agreement to follow the word, and then the Passover. Because the Passover has meaning. 
And this Passover was forgotten by the Israelites. Uh, Many places, many of the people didn't do it. The kings were slack. The religious system was slack. But the Passover represented physical redemption, physical deliverance out of Egypt, but it also represented the blood of the lamb, this innocent lamb whose blood was shed and put over the door, the doorpost and the lintel, uh, that the plague of death would pass over the houses of those who had it. Somebody had to die so these people could have life. And that was a picture of the Messiah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, we, we have a, a dear Jewish friend, and uh, my wife was encouraging him. And she started asking him questions about some of the things that he was doing or celebrating. And he said, you know, talk to your husband. I think he knows more about this stuff than I do. But it's so important that we understand this because it's all about God. And when God speaks, we should be listening. So Second Chronicles 35, a parallel scripture, it says, it adds that all Judah and Israel, right, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, they were present at this amazing Passover. Actually, I'm not going to go through it, but Second Chronicles goes through all the sacrifices, all the preparation. I mean, this was a shebang. This was big. Not because Josiah wanted his name in lights, but because he really wanted to honor the Lord. Uh, it's no wonder I named my son after him. Uh, it's a definitely a tall order to follow. But Josiah had this great courage to unite both the north and the south. And why is that amazing? Because if you know your history, at this time in history, the north was controlled by the wicked Assyrians. They had already taken over in 722 B.C. So Josiah really put his, his neck out to, to do this, but his goal was to unite his people. And that's important today because we live in a culture where everyone's pointing the finger at everybody else. Accusations are made meritless. Um, and, and people just, our, our society, our culture is eating itself from the inside. We need people to unite. Because, to, uh, listen, anybody can criticize, anybody could divide. That's easy. To bring people together who don't agree, that's difficult. And Josiah was one of those people. So uh, even the apostate north came to celebrate this Passover. Good stuff. Verse 24, Josiah also put away all the mediums, the spiritists, and the other abominations. This is incredible because if you think about, Josiah took this seriously, how the leaven was supposed to be removed from the houses, right? It was a picture of sin. Well, Josiah removed the leaven from the nation. You know, he found all the voodoo and the weird stuff that the Israelites were doing. He got rid of the the high places and the demon gods and all this weird stuff um, because he was really removing the leaven, trying to, from his nation. And uh, just a little, and and every so often Christians will come to me and ask me questions, but uh, I don't understand, and maybe it's just an immaturity, uh, but if you grow in, in the Word, you understand that we're not to dabble with tarot cards and palm readings and horoscopes and the Long Island medium and listen these I know it's everybody knows who that, that person is and they can come like like a, a lamb but they're either a a fraud or b they're getting their if they're not giving glory to God they're getting it from the demonic world so especially I got a lot of young people here stay away from that stuff you're saying I'm walking with God and you're inviting weird things into your life okay it's only going to end in disaster Verse 25, it says, there was, this is, and people say, and I looked at this, I read it so many times, because we think about David, right? How many years before Josiah? It says, there was no king like him. Uh, very, very explicit, but, but listen to him, listen to this. Who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. 
And you can look at this in a lot of ways. I mean, David committed adultery, he committed murder, of course he repented. But Josiah was, was different. David was a, a great king. Maybe Josiah was a better king, and there is a difference. David was the one who was spoken about who would start the lines that eventually the Messiah would come through. However, Josiah uh, really gave it his all to really adhere strictly to the words of the law. So there's no contradiction in the Scripture. Two men, great men, but different. Okay, And, and people struggle with that one. Um, well, what about David? It doesn't take anything away from David. Understand this too, that in Josiah's day, the people were so wicked. In David's day, there was sin too, but not like in Josiah's day. So Josiah, if you make a comparison, had a much heavier battle to fight to try to turn the ship around. It wasn't that bad in David's day. So you have to make a, 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 a comparison and uh, you know, make an equal comparison, uh, depending on the time that they were living, living in. And I look at it this way, uh, 50 years ago, we have universities today that are hostile to anything. There's universities in our country that had Christian symbols that they removed today. They removed the Christian symbols, you know, trying to completely sanitize anything Christian from a once Christian university. There's, there's hostility on campus towards uh, belief in Christ and, and the Bible, anything like that, it triggers people to get uh, all upset. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think in our generation, so it's like a Josiah generation, for us to actually take a stand for the things of God, and I'm not even talking about in, in persecuted nations, I'm talking about in our own country, you're going to get blowback. So I, I can see the comparison there. Uh, we have this hostility, this ignorance. Uh, people don't even know why they're mad at God. They're just angry. You say the, a certain word, and again, it's a weird word. It's triggered. But, you know, it's the culture is coming up with all kinds of new and weird, exciting things that they can foist upon us. Uh, but, you know, it is. You share in your faith today, uh, you can be met with a lot of resistance. Verse 26, continuing on, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah, the southern kingdom, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh, few kings before, had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house of which I said, my, sh- my name shall be there. So two out of five is sin has great consequences. Now, and, and I love doing this because people ask me, well, Pastor Joe, um, but didn't it say that, that God was going to relent from his anger and his judgment? Yes, d- during Josiah's years. Now, we're going to find out that the four kings that came after Josiah, I believe three of which were his sons, were awful men, wicked, evil, the Bible says. Uh, so what happened was God, it, everything kind of went back to the same after Josiah died, which is really sad. But God said specifically that he would, it's almost like in Josiah's day, because of his repentance, his heart for God, his rededication, where judgment was coming. It's almost like the old uh, cassette players. You know, you got play, then you had the pause button. You hit the pause button, play is still there, but it stops. Once you release the pause button, Josiah's death, the judgment continued to flow. Now, could the other kings after Josiah have repented? They could have, but they didn't. (laughs) So that's reality. You have to understand, too, that Josiah was the king and had ultimate authority. And even though he did all these reforms, not not everybody was happy about it. They were waiting for him to either pass away or, or acquiesce to the next king. 
for them to take all these demonic things that they were doing and bring it to the forefront again. So the culture was, was, was filthy. Josiah was a, a cleansing agent of the culture. But after Josiah's death, unfortunately, things went back really fast. Okay? I mean, we can look at some of the Jesus movements in our own country where people get, just like in Josiah's day, people get excited. They kind of go with this movement. It's a cultural Christian thing. It's popular. Maybe a few news outlets pick it up, a few papers, right? And, and people, they'll follow trends. They, their hearts may not be for God, but it's a it's kind of cool Jesus movement thing, you know? Happened in the 60s. There's been things that happened in the 1800s. Uh, but a lot of people went with the movement, but then when the movement was over, they didn't stay because they never were of the Lord. So you can see the same thing in Josiah's day. A lot of really great comparisons. Um, okay, continuing on, verse 28, it says that, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went out against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. And this, then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. This is actually very confusing at, at first glance, but we're going we're gonna to go deeper into it. So three out of five is the death of King Josiah. Let's read, if we turn with me, to Second Chronicles 35, starting with verse 20. gives us more details. Chronicles is like more of the, the, the heavily spiritual part of, of Kings. Kings is pretty historic. Uh, Chronicles gives more of a, a spiritual undercurrent of what's going on. It says, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple... Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him. The Pharaoh sends messengers to the king Josiah, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come out against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So Josiah, maybe he's thinking, might be right, but I really want to stop him from... It's a long story. Josiah was pro-Babylon. Pharaoh Necho was pro-Assyria. And this was a power struggle now that was going on between Babylon and Assyria. So Josiah, you know, they would come out with their kingly garments in war. He disguises himself. So he's not, he's not completely on good footing going out to do this. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had had. And they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what was written in the law of the Lord, and his deeds from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of 
of the kings of Israel and Judah. So let's look at the map. I love maps. I like visual aids. This is a good one because it's pretty bright. (laughs) At 7.30 or 7.45 at night, it kind of wakes you up. But here's Egypt, the Egyptians. This is, in yellow, is pretty much the Babylonian Empire at the time. Um, what it becomes because Assyria is waning. The Assyrians are on the run from basically the southeast area all the way up. They're running from Babylon because Babylon's chasing them down. Assyria keeps setting up different capitals but they keep losing to the Babylonians. So what happens is uh, Pharaoh Necho comes up. The only way to really get here, if he's not going by sea, is to move his troops up this area which is, so here's Judah, here's Israel. He's moving his troops up the western kind of coast of Israel, the Israelite nation. Josiah is pro-Babylon at the time, not real thrilled about what Pharaoh Necho is doing. So he uh, finds the Egyptian forces at Megiddo and confronts them. Now, Necho, his plan was to go all the way up here to Karchemish by the Euphrates where the last great battle between the Assyrians and Babylonians take place. Uh, the Egyptians on the Assyrian side. And, you, you, you know, Nietzsche says to Josiah, listen, this, don't, don't get involved. You know, I don't, I'm not looking for a fight with you. And um, by the way, your God is not on your side if you do kind of, this is interesting. There's a lot of things that are interesting about this. So Josiah dies in battle. By the way, I, I looked up, so cool, I looked up history or secular history. History is history. And uh, it's amazing the details that secular historians give about this incredible battle. The Bible's always right. Everything in here is true. And I was really, really getting into it. I was kind of diverted <laughs> from the main crux of the story here, as you can tell. But the circumstances are, are strange because had Josiah not meddled, uh, Pharaoh would have come up, helped the Assyrians, and would have weakened the Babylons, the Babylonians, who eventually the Babylonians took over Josiah's people. It's kind of like a little bit of a mind twister. Now, let me just go over a few things with you here to try to make sense of it. A few things. Let's, let's learn from Josiah's mistake. A, don't let your politics cloud your spirituality. You can see this in American culture. You can see people get so wrapped up. I mean, you got two main political parties. Then you got a whole bunch of third-party candidates, and people get so wrapped up in it. But make sure that the Scripture is first. And I see people on all ends get fall into traps when they don't put the Scripture above. When America's done, who's going to remember the Republicans and the Democrats? We're going to be with the Lord. So Josiah made a mistake. He, he, he got into politics too much, taken sides, and it cost him his life. B, pray about everything that you do, especially when you're going to come against somebody. There's some really good lessons in here, aren't they? I mean, Josiah took a bunch of mighty men with shields and swords and horses and stuff, and he was going to draw blood. Him and the Egyptians were going to duke it out, and people died over these battles. So Josiah didn't pray this through completely. Uh, Josiah thought that the Assyrians were, were a greater threat than the Babylonians, but he was wrong. C, don't be so prideful that you can't take advice from somebody who's not a believer. We see this over and over and over again in the Scripture. right? Jethro, Exodus 18, Moses is, is handling all these cases. 
he's like he's like the judge. Israelites are coming to him day and night. Oh, this guy took my sheep. Oh, this guy, you know, lied about me. And Moses is constantly, all day long, guy never gets a break. Jethro, who's not a believer, he's not an Israelite, says to Moses, what are you doing? Find some uh, decent men and delegate authority and you could be like the Supreme Court. Great advice. So we see this throughout the Scripture where every once in a while you run into somebody who's not necessarily a believer, but they do have some wisdom. So for me personally, I listen to people who aren't believers, right? I just went to a surgeon recently who wasn't necessarily a believer, and he, he did some good stuff there. Uh, but, <laughs> so don't be so prideful that you can only, and I see Christians do this, you know, they, they only talk to Christians. That's weird. Um, we're not supposed to be like that, right? D, good men and women can make fatal mistakes and foolish decisions, Right? No matter how godly you are, the Bible said, I just finished reading how amazing Josiah was from the hand of God, from the Holy Spirit. Nobody was like this Josiah, but he made one decision that cost him his life. So, I make dumb decisions. I get on ladders when I shouldn't, and I know a lot of people who fall off ladders. I'm not a fan of ladders, but that's just not my, my gift. It's not my forte. My, my staff tries to keep me off of ladders. I can handle this. Get Joe, Pastor Joe, get off the ladder. So we can, as, as godly as we can be, we can still do stupid things. Think, think about this. Moses got the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, and God would not let him go into the promised land because of a really bad, horrific decision in representing God. That was a pretty heavy price for Moses to pay. This was a pretty heavy price for Josiah to pray. E, pray for your leaders. <laughs> pray for your leaders. Political and definitely spiritual. Because we need your prayers. Because we're not above any of this stuff. And last, <laughs> after all this, why would I still name my son Josiah? Because I knew the end of the story before I, I said to my wife, we, I love this name. We, if it's a boy, like we had the names picked out. If it's a boy, this. If it's a girl, that. Both biblical names. Because Josiah was one of the greatest, godliest, most passionate kings ever to live for God. And he was such a good man that he almost took the role of the clergy, so to speak, because they weren't doing their jobs. That's how amazing this person was. So I will say this about uh, naming my son Josiah. As long as he can stay away from picking a fight with Egypt, he should be fine. <laughs> okay, you're all awake. <laughs> that was a test. He's actually working right now, but he's going to get a kick out of this message when he listens to it. Um, let's go back to the reference in Second Chronicles 35, 25-27. The death of Josiah. A lot of people lamented. And here we also know that Jeremiah right, was also, uh, also lamented Josiah's death. Jeremiah was to Josiah as, <laughs> sounds like you can get these words confused, they sound similar. Jeremiah was to Josiah as Isaiah was to Hezekiah. So if you remember, we were back in Second Kings earlier, we were back in Isaiah, and Isaiah was, was there for Hezekiah. That was his, his guy. And here, Josiah and Jeremiah were contemporaries. And, Jos and Jeremiah, you can see that through Lamentations and you read about Jeremiah, he, he felt deeply. He was a very passionate, deep person. You fall in love with Jeremiah when you read the Scripture. You, you, just, you say, I want to meet this guy. Just a, a kind, gracious, loving type of person, also being a prophet. 
Uh, he admired, respected, and probably no doubt loved Josiah. And after Josiah died, the nation went downhill after that. And I'll say this. It's, I don't know, maybe I'm cynical. When you look out at society, maybe our society in general, I think it's few and far between when you find a man or a woman who can really change the face of a church, can change the face of their neighborhood. They just, they're such a light. They're such a positive influence. And quite frankly, I think that there's, the ratio is stacked more towards rotten people in society than that one person that you run across that's really amazing. And I'm going to tell you that uh, I've buried people like that. And I've actually had to come up here and keep my composure that they just were so good. They, I mean, we're all sinners, but they just had such great character. They were just such amazing people that when that person dies, people go, oh. So this was Josiah. He was one of those people. Verse 31, continuing on. So Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that, that his fathers had done, the, the wicked ones. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim the son of Josiah, so Josiah had a few boys, uh, king in his place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt and he died there. So four out of five is, and we can see more of this in Second Chronicles 36, uh, Jehoahaz, who's one of Josiah's sons, also known as Shalom, he only reigned for three months after Josiah's death. Uh, and then Pharaoh Necho, again, who killed Josiah, he, he, he has some strength. He's got some power. Uh, the Assyrians don't do well, but Egypt stays strong for a while until Babylon whoops them as well. Uh, so they make uh, Judah, or the Israelites in the southern kingdom, what's called a vassal state. They now have power. There's nobody good running Judah, Jerusalem. So the Egyptians come in and they conquer and they're able to get the Judahites to pay them. It's called being a vassal state. You know, we now control you, which is really sad. Jehoahaz is taken by Pharaoh Necho, and he dies in Egypt. But Jehoahaz was an evil king anyway. Um, you wonder, with such a great father like Josiah, what did his sons learn? Right? It, it, there's no guarantees. You know, when we have kids, or, or maybe we come from a line, and, and I see people say this, I'm doomed. You don't know what my family's like. doesn't matter. You read the Bible, somebody could be the most rotten person and their kid, boy or girl, becomes this godly person, right? So, but there's no guarantee. So we all have to stand and fall on our own. That's just the way it is. Uh, so again, he doesn't learn anything from his father, Josiah. Uh, you would expect that if he would have repented or rededicated his life, like Josiah did, things would have been different for the southern kingdom, but he didn't. And I talked about this Sunday in our Isaiah study, how people can be very stubborn. You know, God's calling them, God's reaching out to them, and they're just so stubborn. Um, it's tough. It's a tough thing, but, you know, we make our own problems. 35, last few verses. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. 
he exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Nietzsche. You know what sin brings? It brings slavery. It, in this case, it brought physical slavery. Uh, but, you know, in our, in our situation, we're a free country, but sin brings slavery. You know, we, if we're a slave to our sin, it, 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 it makes us dysfunctional. It, it ruins us. It harms us. Uh, Jehoiakim, verse 36, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Pediah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers, again, past Josiah, had done. So five out of five is the reign of King Jehoiakim, also known as Eliakim. He's another son of Josiah, but he does evil. He's the king for 11 years, um, and Jehoiakim was between strong Egypt that we saw and strong Babylon. You'd think he might repent and say, you know, I want better for my people, for my nation, for my heritage, for my posterity. He doesn't repent. He dies in that state. And it's tragic when somebody does that. But what do we see here? We see a death of a nation. Jerusalem had so much promise. It was the seed of spirituality. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The temple was there. The cherubim were there. And God's physical presence was part of his presence. He said, I would dwell in that building. All gone. The nation died. The nation committed spiritual suicide. I wonder if the Lord tarries another 20 or 30 years where the United States will be. Where are the Josiahs of today? You know, many Christians are content, they're busy, they're distracted, they're content being spectators or consumers, not taking personal responsibility for their faith, not sharing their faith in any way, not serving the Lord in any way. I was really blessed because one of our youth, uh, who's here with us tonight, she asked me some questions about a school assignment about how she could share her Christian faith, and we had a really nice discussion uh, and it was really great. It was just like, to, I love application. This was the pastor speaking to one of our, our young people and kind of giving them the applicable phase, but the school opened the door for her to do this assignment. So it's very, very exciting to me because, you know, the church is a great thing. You got the, the older folks giving the wisdom, helping out the best they can. The younger folks hopefully, hopefully being discipled receiving that wisdom so when it's their turn and they start running the church or uh, or ministries or stuff like that, that they have that wisdom, they're walking with the Lord, and they're applying the things that they've learned in the Scripture. So it's really this cool kind of symbiotic relationship that we have with each other in the body of Christ. And I just say this, Josiah had a great passion for God. I fell in love with his character when I first read about him. I think you know, uh, I read through, early in my walk, I read through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when I got to Josiah, I couldn't put the book down. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I love this guy. Oh, I love this guy. If I have a son, I'm naming him Josiah. So it was, just was a great thing. But if the Lord delays his coming, we're going to need men, young men, young women, who have the same passion that Josiah had for the Lord, even though... You know, there's this thing now in social media, they're doing all these psychological studies that they're saying, and it's true, that somebody tweets something, and if a bunch of people jump on them, they change their mind. Like they're afraid to stand up to the mob. And this was a mob in Judah. A lot of them were not about God. But Josiah, as a young man, as a late teen in his early 20s, didn't care. 
he stood up to the mob and he resisted and he pushed back. We need Josiahs in our uh, culture because everyone's kind of going along with this groupthink. One person says something, they all jump on that person. You must change your thinking. You make them like robots. You know, everybody in the culture has to think one way. That's kind of creepy if you think about it, but that's where we're going. And social media is pushing this thing. And we, so what I guess I know I keep saying it, but I'll leave it with this. I submit to you that this world, and especially our culture, even the Christian culture, needs more Josiahs. Guys, gals, will you be one of them? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.